This is Laura looking for love. If you listened to last week's podcast, I'd said that today would be my love story with Spain. But I decided I needed to push that back so I could discuss the World Series. And I really wasn't expecting to be so emotionally involved. It just happened. I didn't watch the first four games. I barely knew that the Dodgers were playing. I happened to tune into Game 5. And of course, I was hooked. It was one of the best and most exciting games ever. And it got me thinking about why. Why sports can hook you during the championships. And especially why I, being an LA native, could only get emotionally invested when LA was playing. Because if any other team were playing, I would not have cared at all. This actually differs from, I mean, I know I talked about the Canelo Triple G fight, my first podcast episode, and that had nothing to do with LA, but boxing is a completely different dynamic. It is one man against one man and one story against another man's story. It's personal, it invites us in, and it's really symbolic of our individual struggles. But sports like basketball, football, baseball, soccer, team sports, where each team represents a city or region, the individual backstories get lost and the city becomes the focus. So we aren't so concerned with each player's backstory as we are about inspiring and representing a space and a city. So to understand why my enthusiasm for this World Series caught me a bit off guard, I'll start by saying I don't care for baseball really at all. I actually think it's kind of boring. And as far as my need for LA to win, I don't think any space is better than the other, basically. So because of that, it's surprising that I would be just so gung-ho about LA winning this World Series. Over the years, I've actually wanted to leave LA. I've been to other states, other cities, and other countries where I've told people I was from LA, and they criticize it, saying, oh, LA people, they're just so snobby, or LA this, or LA that. There's a bit of animosity toward LA in a lot of places in the world and I never get offended because I do understand where they come from. It can be a very cutthroat place to live. It's full of competition and superficiality but on the other hand it's also full of diversity and culture which is really the part I love. So game five. I turn on the TV, tune in maybe the fourth inning or so. I don't remember. All I remember was that the Dodgers were up 4-0 and then as the innings progress the Astros score several runs and it's tied. And they just go back and forth scoring until it reaches the score of 12-12, which is a really exciting and high-scoring game. And for me, very uncharacteristic of the baseball games I've seen in the past. So the tension is just really insane, and I start to feel so competitive. I didn't just want LA to win. I needed LA to win this. Like, it was life or death. And I thought about it, and I wondered why. You know, I'm not a huge LA fanatic. I'm not a huge Dodgers fanatic. I didn't even know the players. But I wanted them to win so badly that I started to get brutally competitive. And the ironic part is is that, you know, I have this empowerment center. I have this spiritual podcast focused on love. And I'm yelling at the screen at the opposing team, the Astros, saying, You suck, motherfuckers! Right? I just am having so much fun in this aggressive, competitive sports rage, and then I catch myself. And it's not that I catch myself because I'm cussing. I cuss all the time, actually. But I don't feel bad about it because I know it's in good fun. You know, no one's really hearing me. I'm not hurting anybody. But I'm surprised that I'm so passionate and yelling these obscenities when I'm not even a huge Dodgers fan. Why am I so invested in this game? 
I haven't watched baseball in years. And why during the World Series do I suddenly care? And care with such a deep passion. Why does it feel so utterly important? And it took me back, and I started to remember that this was a familiar feeling. I mean, it's not the first time that I was so passionate about a team sport in which I was rooting for L.A. And I remember the last time, particularly with the Dodgers, I don't even think it was to that extent where I needed them to win that badly, but I remember feeling very inspired in 1988 when the Dodgers were in the World Series and won. And the one moment that I really remember was when Kirk Gibson hit his home run. It wasn't even the winning run of the series, but it was the winning run in the first game. And the reason it was so memorable was because it was an all or nothing situation. He had hurt his legs, so he wasn't able to run. He was the pinch hitter. They brought him in knowing he couldn't run. And so basically he was left with two options to not get an out he either had to walk or hit a home run any other type of hit would cause him an out because he wouldn't have been able to be fast enough to get to first base before he would probably get an out and he hits it out of the park and when he did everyone in LA who was watching that game could not help but just scream and jump and cheer because he proved to us that we not just the Dodgers could still win with the odds stacked against us with blatant limitations And we can all relate to limitations, but to see him on the world stage busting these limitations was a miracle. It gave us a piece of hope that we could take to our real lives. I was continuing to watch Game 5, I remember that moment, and the song I Love LA started playing in the background. And my memory took me back again, but this time with the Lakers, starting with the late 80s. And the only other times when I was this excited about a team sport was the two great eras of Lakers basketball when I was alive, which was Pat Riley when he led Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and the rest of the Lakers to -to back-to-back championship wins, and later the era of championships with Kobe and Shaq. And both those times, there was no other song to get us pumped up than that I Love L.A. song. You know, rolling down Imperial Highway from the South Bay to the Valley, from the West Side to the East Side, everyone's happy because the sun is shining all the time, I Love L.A., and the crowd shouts, we love it! And if that's not the best city song, I don't know what is. It's recognition, familiarity, and when we talk to other LA natives, we can rely on the fact that we understand the areas and the references in that song. And that understanding unites us. And while knowing and living in LA is the factor that connects us, I realized it has nothing to actually do with LA. It has to do with belonging. And as humans, we crave a sense of belonging. And that is the magic of team sports. It gives us a sense of belonging and connectedness that we may not feel during any other time of the year. And what's interesting about this sense of belonging when it comes to sports teams is that it transcends the usual racial and socioeconomic divides. And so especially in these times when racial tensions continue to exist, sports bring a moment of reprieve to that. It no longer is race against race. It's region against region, city against city. But within each city is a unity of all races, all socioeconomics, and the color lines start to blur. And this isn't to say that race stops existing, as we did see some controversy with one of the Astro players, Yuli Gurriel, and his gesture of pulling his eyelids or his eyes to the side in his stereotypical slant-eyed impression of one of the Dodger pitchers, Yu Darvish, who is half Japanese. However, racial tension within each city and each team stops for a moment. Team and city trump race. So when game six comes back to Los Angeles and Gurriel steps on the plate to bat, all of Dodger Stadium boos him with the most intensity they have probably ever booed anyone. 
And I guarantee there are a lot of people in that stadium that at one time had probably made that very same gesture. But in that moment, everyone was united in booing a man who insulted one of their own. And in any other context, many wouldn't have even cared. And the reason most people were angry with Guriel was because they say he is racist. And I do want to get into the bigger picture of why race is often the point of attack. But first, I want to share my initial reaction to Guriel before I even knew about this controversy. And again, I hadn't watched the first four games, so so I had no idea who said what, but I did hear about the gesture. I didn't know who did it. I didn't know who was directed at. But I do remember when I first watched game five and I was yelling at all the Astros there was one player who I found particularly irritating you know he had this crazy wild hair and I literally found him repulsive and I didn't know why because honestly not all the players had that effect on me yes in that moment they were the enemy of the game but I actually found some to be really sweet and pleasant like Altuve but there was something about Grail I just couldn't stand he just pissed me off for some reason and so when game six comes along and I hear this intensified booing for him I was thinking this is strange they don't like him either and that's when I did this search and I find out why but the reason I didn't like him wasn't the reason everyone else didn't because he's a quote-unquote racist I realized I didn't like him because he operates out of pure survival he vibrates out of really low energy and it made him annoying to me. And for those who have been listening to my other podcast, I think I may have mentioned the evolution of humanity and that we start in survival. And then as we evolve, we're able to function at a higher vibration. And if we get stuck in survival, we're out of touch with our spirit nature, our miracle space and our ability to love. So Guriel is Cuban. And so he is a minority in America, just as you Darvish is. And as a minority, they both have, I'm sure, experienced racism, discrimination and repression, right? And A minority is basically any ethnicity that isn't in the racial group of power in a country. So in America, anyone who isn't white is basically a minority. In Japan, those who aren't Japanese are a minority. In Mexico, those who aren't Mexican are a minority. So in America, both Guriel and Darvish are minorities. One might argue that racism can only exist from the race of power outward. And if you have a minority who makes a racial gesture to another minority, is that still racism? Well, sometimes when people have experienced discrimination, there is this racial programming that kicks in and says, we are beaten down. We can't challenge those in power to not feel beaten down. So we must beat down others who are beneath us. And if those people do not exist, if there are people who are not beneath us or who we feel aren't beneath us, then we will make others around us feel beneath us. And it's only because there is a lack. It comes from lack and survival. There is a lack of resources, and I don't want to be the one at the bottom. So I must fight and make others the enemy, so then I am not at the bottom. And that's a pure survival mentality, and this is why minorities lash out at other minorities even though they know how it feels so but the funny thing is is that this programming of survival is so strong that even when a person gets out of a survival dynamic and they're like nowhere even near being in a physical survival mode like Yuli Guriel he is basically a millionaire he's rich he's famous and he has a dream job he's no longer feeling anything survival related yet he is still operating in survival mode because it's second nature and it was programmed in his space So although he's managed to find success in his career, he hasn't managed to find success in spiritual and soul advancement. And the difficult thing about that is if he doesn't figure it out in this lifetime, he'll be given situations in the next that will probably cause him a great deal of pain until he figures it out. And this is not to say that 
he should be punished or anything. A lot of times people think that the afterlife will create either rewards or punishments. And so people fear punishment. Like I have to be good or I'll be punished. But it's not even about punishment. It's about spiritual growth and advancement. So what will lead spirits to greater awareness, right? And sometimes we need to get hit upside the head. And no one likes to get hit upside the head, but it does wake us up. So that's Yuli Guriel. On the other side of that is Yu Darvish, who seemed pretty unaffected by this gesture directed at him. While all of Dodger Nation and the Dodger team were super offended, he was basically like, I don't care. It's no big deal. So the question is, does he really not care or has he trained himself to not care? There's a difference between neutrality and shutting off emotion, you know. So in the end, you know, game seven, the decision by the head coach is that he's going to be put in to start. And even though he choked in one of the previous games, they still put him in. And, you know, just like Guriel, he's operating under his own set of cultural programming. Whereas Guriel operates in survival, Darvish has this cultural programming that puts a ton of pressure on representing an entire people. The Japanese culture is a culture that sacrifices individuality for group and culture as a whole. So there's this huge perfectionism programming that puts seriousness and fear into high-pressure situations. And it's a huge burden to bear, but one that can really get in the way of individual joy. And this is not to say that a Japanese person should never be put in a high-pressure situation. Not at all. There are some that thrive under that pressure. But this was just my psychic read on the energy that was affecting his space at that time. It was really serious, limiting, and fearful, and it covered his ability to connect to his gifts. So game seven is a bust. The energy's low. The Dodgers start out weak, and they can never gain control of the game. And what was disappointing about this was that it was all energy. If the Dodgers were able to connect to their enthusiasm, they might have had a chance, but their enthusiasm was directly connected to the results of the game. The win or the loss dictated the level of enthusiasm and joy. On the other hand, the Astros were vibrating really high. They were pumped in the aftermath of the hurricane, you know, sometimes in situations where real death and destruction is witnessed. The game becomes just that, a game, a relief from the realities of the world and a place to find sanctuary. And let's not forget that you had one guy, Correa, who was determined to win because he wanted to propose to his girlfriend once they were World Series champions. So you have one team who has all this energy that's pushing them forward of the context of where they're coming from as a city, as you know, also representing the entire state, and also the individual goals of each of them. And it just propelled them into this higher energy. So in the end, as I was lying on my couch, super disappointed at not just the loss, but the lack of excitement of game seven, I listened to the coach Dave Roberts in an interview. And as in any loss, the reporters asked if he would have done anything differently, you know, starting out with his placement of Darvish in the beginning. And he said, no, he didn't second guess his instincts and he didn't blame his player. He he owned it. He owned his decision. And I really like that. And it really is about learning, accepting, and forgiving. And that one bad game does not define the worth of a player or team. And that's really a good lesson for LA, a city who is often spoiled with the limelight. And as devastating as a loss as it was for the Dodgers and LA, the test now is how to move forward and not get stuck in that loss. And for Houston, it's to celebrate the joy of a first win ever in the World Series and to bring back some of the light and some hope to a city and state devastated by the recent hurricanes. So if this World Series taught me anything about life and love, it's that we all belong somewhere, even if we often don't feel it. And in that space of belonging, we are both defended and forgiven. And in that state of support, we learn how to better love and forgive ourselves. I now know why I was in my competitive rage rooting for a team I didn't even know. Sports symbolizes the path unknown. In each life, we have a choice. We can take the safe route, 
the one that is visible, secure, or the one with unknown consequences, dark in places where leaps of faith are required. And because that which is unknown often causes fear in people, you know you're on that path if your loved ones are scared for you. You know you're on that path if those around you think you're crazy or a dreamer. You know you're on that path if many don't believe in you. And while the safe path will give you a little of everything, a bit muted and dull, the other could lead to the full symphony and the brightest colors, but it could also lead to nothing, just like the World Series. It's all or nothing. And when the stakes are that high, it is something to shout and fight for. So thanks for listening. And those who want to learn more about the Empowerment Center, there's a new article recently published that I've posted on the website at thebonsaibabes.com. I also have some LA area events this weekend, so you can check out the events page on the website. And I'll be back here next Friday.